to me at least, the martini is the quickest way to get from work to recreation that I've ever found. It's an absolute signal to your brain, hey, it's time to turn everything off, be cool, lay low, and don't think about anything else that happened earlier today. Many of us are enjoying our backyards a lot more this summer. I know I certainly am. If you like sipping a cocktail while you relax, stay tuned as we hear from John Gennetti. John's a Quinnipiac alum and owner of 116 Crown, which is one of Connecticut's premier cocktail bars, and it's located in New Haven. John's going to give us the recipes for four craft cocktails that are perfect to enjoy while kicking back after a long day. He will also give recommendations and information on the spirits he prefers. This is the Virtual Quadcast, a podcast by the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio in partnership with the University Events and Community Partnerships team. I'm Carla Natale. Thank you so much for joining us for our second episode. We are excited to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Our martini here is actually a gin French, which means it's two parts removed to three parts gin. And we actually don't use a London dry gin, but a gin called Plymouth gin. So London dry gins have to be made in London with London water. Plymouth gins have to be made in Plymouth with water from Plymouth. Lucky for us, the only Plymouth gin available in Connecticut is actually called Plymouth gin. So yeah. it's the brand, the genre, and the only one available. So it makes things a little bit easier. So this is Plymouth gin. You want to have a look at that there. And then this is the dry vermouth that I like to use, which is called Boissier. When vermouths achieved notoriety for the first time, dry vermouths were not called dry vermouths, they were called French vermouths because France manufactured dry vermouth and Italy manufactured sweet vermouth. So the way we think of vermouths now, which is dry and sweet, was actually French and Italian. What we use here is a British gin with a quote unquote French vermouth or dry vermouth and again, a twist of lemon. So I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to serve it to my one of two employees who's lucky enough to have the proximity to me today. He's wearing a mask and gloves in a total PPE suit. But let me show you how it's made. So best practice is to use this guy here, which is a Boston shaker. Boston shakers have two parts. They have the tin and the glass. You'll see plenty of shakers that have two tins. We like to use the glass here for observational purposes, as well as we're not gonna shake this one, but there's a taller, more available uh, real estate here. So if we were shaking this drink, you can throw it from this part to this part. So just having extra real estate makes for a better shake, but we're gonna stir this one. The reason we stir this one is because any drink made with vermouth has a couple of rules. Some of them were made up here. Some of them existed before me. The most important is that any vermouth that we use needs to be refrigerated. Since vermouth is a wine, there was a pre-quarantine time where bottles of wine did not get consumed all in one sitting. And if you left your bottle of wine on a counter for maybe a night or two, the wine would go bad. So wine, depending on how deep into it you get, I like to say that wine is alive, but at the very least, wine should be served fresh. So vermouth is what they call an aromatized wine, which means it's wine that has herbs added to it. Usually that means it's not the best wine. It can start as the best wine, but with the additional herbs, you can get a product that is consistent throughout years and months, which is what you look for with something like vermouth because we're going to mix it in with this gin and drinks, almost like a cuvee blend champagne, should be consistent from days, years, and months. So we use things like measuring tools, like this guy here, which is a jigger, and this tin, 
making up drinks is like cooking, but making drinks is like baking. So without a recipe, you're sort of lost at sea. Uh, I'm not much of a baker, but I'm actually not much of a cook either, but I make a decent drink. And the only reason that I've had any success at all is from following recipes. So the recipe for this is three parts gin. For our case, we're going to do single serving for our buddy Elliot over here. So that's going to be three ounces. So this is a two ounce top. So we're going to do one of these and one of these to make three. So we start here, right in there. Three of those. And then two parts vermouth. Now again, this is not a classic martini. It is a gin French. So in the old days, this would be French vermouth. And the proportions make it not a martini. We're going to add as much ice as we can fit in this guy. So I realize these are batter fueled conditions, but it bears mentioning. So we use full cubes of ice here. You are all probably at home and all benefit from having ice cube trays in your fridge. Those are the best ice cubes you can have. I know when I graduated from Quinnipiac, we used to go and hang out at places like Toad's Place, which had terrible ice cubes. It probably gave me a taste for better ones. Being locked in your house has several disadvantages, but one of the advantages is good ice. So if you use filtered water, distilled water, any kind of water that isn't, even if you have tap water, well water, whatever it is, putting it in those ice cube trays and getting big full cubes is the best thing you can do. Reason being is drinks need ice for two reasons. One is to make them cold, obviously, and two is dilution. So we want to get the drink as diluted as we want it to be, and we want to stop it absolutely. So if we were going to put this drink on the rocks, we put it over fresh ice. For our purposes here, we're going to put it in a martini glass, not surprisingly. So I'm going to stir this before it gets too diluted. And Elliot yells at me. I'm already getting soft looks. So remember, you're going to agitate this just to get it cold. You don't want it to froth, and you for sure don't want to shake it. And before I contradict myself, I'm going to put my vermouth back in the fridge. All right, so we have prepared drink glass. We're going to strain this not once but twice. So this is what they call a julep strainer. This is for professionals. Strainers with springs are for novices and children. And this is a mesh strainer. The reason we use this mesh strainer is we want to take out any ice at all. Drinks that are served on the rocks are served on the rocks, and drinks that are served straight up should be served straight up. That means there should not be any trace of ice in there at all, especially with the martini. This should be cold, clear, like a spike to the brain. There's one bubble in there, that's making me nuts. I'm gonna pop that, leave it alone. I am not one for being specific about garnishes, but in this case, the lemon is key. You have to have a lemon twist or you do not have a martini. So a twist in name and purpose is about twisting the rind over the glass. So we're gonna take this and just use your regular vegetable peeler, nothing fancy here. You just want the top bit of the lemon with as little pith as possible. That white part is the pith. I see glare on my zoom. We want as little of that as possible here. And then we're just gonna do as the name implies and twist it over the top. I have an older model iPad. I don't know if you can see this, but there is oil coming over the top of this. I'm for sure you can't smell it, but I can. And that is the goal here. I happen to be blessed with a tremendously big nose. So when you stick your nose in a drink, that is the first experience you have with the drink. So I'm not sure if you could see this, but we've got a twist floating in there. 
and all sorts of beautiful oil on top of that. The lemon is an interesting fruit because what we usually think about with like lemon juice or lemonade is the juice inside. The juice inside is plentiful but less concentrated. So all of the real flavor is in the rind of this guy. So this here smells like, this, this is like a Los Angeles street in the middle of summer, pre-COVID. And it's fantastic. I'm not gonna, hi, how are you? I have friends outside that are waving at me, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm gonna pass this off to my coworker. And do you wanna do a couple of questions now? This drink is near and dear, so. Yeah, that's beautiful, go ahead. Go ahead and deliver it. I might take the whole thing down. <laughs> Here, this is my this is my co-star. Come on. Hi, Elliot. Get six feet away. <laughs> Drink it in good health. He's very happy. So I know I've always heard that like shaken or stirred for martinis. So can you unpack that a little bit? Like what's the difference between the two? Like the presentation so, and the flavor. I am very steadfast in the rules that we use here and the ones that I apply to myself. In no way are they the only way of doing things. They're just our way. So I believe in learning the rules to be able to break them. It's no different than painting a picture or architecture. If you know exactly what you're talking about and have confidence in doing things in the opposite way, there's a reason for it. The reason that we stir here is because in my cuckoo brain, I like any drink that feels like it should be blended to be stirred and any drink that feels like it should be mixed to be shaken. So I think a good parallel is like, an old fashioned, old fashions to some people, people who watch a lot of Mad Men or are um, historians have this reverence for the old fashioned. But the old fashioned that we make it now is a lot closer to the mojito than it is the whiskey cocktail, which is where the old fashioned started. So as soon as you start like muddling fruit and adding cherries and this, you're not much different than a drink that should be consumed on like a roof deck instead of something that you would be having like a wood paneled room. So I like to shake my old fashions. I've taken a good bit of heat for this in the dorkiest situations in the world. But it's about, for me, learning where the drink is trying to go. So when it comes to a martini, I, I think of, you know, ice cold, snow-capped peaks that just sort of like the cleanest taste available. You have gin and there's a dry vermouth and then you add a layer of lemon peel, which is just this totally like antiseptic, pardon the pun for the times, but really clean feel. And that's the way the drink should feel. You don't want to have froth in your mouth or bubbles or something on your mustache if you're me. You really just want this ice cold direct hit. There's a reason that people drink martinis as soon as they get home from work is they're looking for a respite. To me at least, the martini is the quickest way to get from work to recreation that I've ever found. It's just, it's an absolute signal to your brain. Hey, it's time to turn everything off. Be cool, lay low, you know, enjoy your time with yourself, your family, whoever you're with, and don't think about anything else that happened earlier today. I like it's it. It's a delivery, it's about the <laughs> delivery system. Yes, I like it. Okay, that makes sense. So I have someone asking, what is a really great, good gin for a home bartender? Like what's a good oh. basic gin that someone should have in their liquor cabinet? We used Plymouth gin for this which looks like that. Yep. Little picture of the Mayflower on there. If I were to be stuck with one gin for all time, forever and ever, it would be this guy right here, which is called Martin Miller's gin. Okay. So this is a London dry gin, which just means that it was made in London with London water. There's a whole list of reasons that the Martin Miller's gin company would like to give you for reasons to buy their gin. 
The one that I think is most applicable is that it is a soft gin. Some gins have this like really hard edge. People will tell you that they smell like Christmas trees. They smell like juniper. Um, mm -hmm. They're both conifers, but not exactly pine. This is soft, it's mixable. And again, there's a theme when I think of gin, which is like cold, everything cold. I don't know, again, if their marketing is to be believed, it's because they mix this gin with water from Iceland. I don't know how much that matters. I just know that it's a drop dead gorgeous gin. For some reason, people always ask, you know, if, if you're stuck in a place that doesn't have good drinks, what do you drink? I call those wedding drinks. So when I go to a wedding, I drink Tangeray. I drink Tangeray and Tonic because every bar has it and it's totally decent. But if I had to have one gin for all situations, it would be this one. Martin Miller's gin is steadfast. It's a tiny little company with terrible availability, but you can certainly get it locally here in Connecticut. And it does the job. It's a workhorse. It's a cocktail workhorse. It's good to know. And you said that the Plymouth gin that you mentioned, is that made in Connecticut? So the Plymouth gin is made in Plymouth, England, but available oh, in Connecticut for sure. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of our everything New England and our roots. Yeah. So it is nice to have something like this, yeah. uh, which does hail from pre-colony. So I think we have one more. How does the glass affect the taste of a drink? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. The honest answer is glasses are a personal preference. When it comes to something like the martini or a wine glass like this, glasses do serve a purpose. The reason that wine glasses are shaped like this, I have to zoom out a little bit here, is because as we are all too aware now, human beings are, we're just animals. We're developed animals, which means when we do anything, we have an effect on our surroundings. So whether that means coughing and infecting your loved ones or holding a wine glass and covering it in your body heat or oil, the glasses do serve a purpose. So the reason behind a wine glass having this shape is when you drink wine, let me put it in the most romantic terms possible, you are celebrating what you're about to pour from a bottle to a glass, which means that you want to have as little impact as possible. So the reason for the wine glass to have a, the shape that it does is Wine glasses should almost always return. You see that there's like a, a bend here and they come back this way. That's to hold the bouquet. So the idea behind a wine glass is you stick your nose in there and smell it. And that's going to be your first interaction with the wine. It's like flirting with the wine. You're seeing what it's all about. The reason that it has a stem is to keep your body and body heat and oil and everything else as far away from that wine as possible. So if you see old school wine drinkers, which I have a bunch and have adapted their stupid habit of holding wine like this. This is quite literally about getting your hand as far away from what you're about to enjoy as possible because your hand cannot improve the wine. So drinks that are served up like martinis you, is also about getting your hand as far away as possible. This glass, the history of this glass is keeping drinks cold in a vessel that has no ice in it. And believe it or not, the history of martini glasses is more about trying to show affluence than it is the drink itself. These glasses became popular when refrigerators became popular. Reason being is folks would serve drinks in pre-chilled glasses at cocktail parties and they'd walk them around. And what they were hoping to hear is, I got this drink 25 minutes ago. It's still cold. How did you do that? And the answer that they were hoping for was, let me show you my new Frigidaire and bring them to the kitchen and show them around. 
And the thinking is that you would put these glasses in the refrigerator and you wouldn't have to have ice in them. That's why this strainer is so important to me is drinks that were meant to be put in this were meant to have no ice on purpose for the dumbest reason in the world, which is to show people your refrigerator, but it matters where it comes from. So you want this glass cold, you use this to keep ice out of it. So when you present this to your guest, they're supposed to be dazzled a little bit. Glass shape comes down to things like that. You really, when it comes to a glass with a stem, the idea is to have your body as far away from the juice as possible. The only exception to this is with a, um, when you drink cognac and you drink it in a snifter, cognac is meant to be enjoyed like this and your body is actually supposed to warm the drink. That's the only time anything except for your mouth is supposed to come in contact with a drink. So other than that, it's about personal preference. I like drinks with a heavy base, glasses with a heavy base. Some of that is because I sell these things. I sell the drinks. And when you drink something without a heavy base, it feels cheap. It's no different than a plastic cup. There are opportunities like this where they drift away. That can lead to a bouquet, what they call collapsing. When you're serving alcoholic beverages, if it's hard alcohol, if it's spirits, collapsing shouldn't be an issue. Hard alcohol is all about getting right to the root of everything and dialing in on the flavor and the smell. So something like this should not be a problem. If it is a problem, you can go to something like this, which does return and has a heavy base. And then there are, of course, your regular highball staple that just has straight sides, heavy bottom, and is a workhorse at any bar. Too much information? No, that's excellent information. I appreciate that. And someone else just asked, should gin be refrigerated? No, vermouth. Feel free to refrigerate your gin, though. Your gin will not get mad at you from living in the icebox. I would dissuade people from putting it in the freezer, though. There is a whole school of thought that says that um, no spirit should live in the freezer, including vodka. I don't adhere to that. I like my vodka ice cold. But proponents, mostly people who own vodka companies, tell you that there is a little bit damage to the taste. I would counter that with the point of vodka to sell vodka in the United States. It's supposed to be odorless, colorless, and tasteless. So... When anybody makes a comment about flavor and vodka, the best tasting vodka is the least tasting vodka. So sticking in the freezer to me seems like the right thing to do. If it's going to damage the taste and make it less flavorful, then that's just a road on the way to vodka heaven. But do what you want with your gin. I'm here to provide guidance, not rules. Break Got all it. the rules. Do everything I say opposite. Just don't shake your vermouth. Got it. Don't shake the vermouth. Don't shake the vermouth. Do anything else though. Awesome. Okay. Those are all the questions for right now. So we can move on to the next cocktail whenever you're ready. Fun. Okay. So we are going to use the Martin Miller's gin for this one. So this drink is called the New Black. This was a forecast for me that this would be the next big thing at my little corner of the world that happened to be accurate, which was fun because nobody likes to be wrong. So we're going to engage this giant machine here. For this, we're going to use limes. We're going to juice them. So obviously you can juice limes at home. The only advice that I can give you for juicing any citrus fruit is leave it out overnight and then roll it around on the counter. That's going to loosen up the capillaries and get your yield up. All of the uh, recipes that I submitted to you earlier this week were all based on citrus fruit being at room temperature and being rolled on a counter. If you don't leave it out overnight, it's like, it's like cooking a steak fresh out of the refrigerator. It's hard to get it up to temperature. You have something... You know, it's ice cold inside, and you're just warming up the outside. So leave your citrus fruit out overnight, and then roll it around on your counter. So for this, we're going to use the juice of a half a lime. I think of citrus fruit, especially limes. When I write a recipe, 
as whole lime, one ounce, half lime, half ounce. So in a situation like this, having fresh citrus is more important than adhering to the recipe. I'm hoping my employee doesn't hear me say that. It's okay to err, you know, a quarter of an ounce or a fifth of an ounce. He's giving me the Manson lamps. If the citrus is super duper fresh, if you're doing business with a lot of people all at once, uh, it's almost impossible and you have to juice in advance. And at that point, you're better off adhering to the recipe. For, but for our purposes, we're going to call a half lime a half an ounce. So we're going to do a half ounce of that really fresh lime. I hope it doesn't drip. It's not. Then we're going to go to this Martin Miller's gin and two ounces of that. You may notice that all of the drinks we're making here are going to be rather strong. That is because a strong drink is not always a good drink, but a good drink is always a strong drink. We use an ounce of Campari. I hope to see some questions about Campari. It mm. is certainly a polarizing ingredient. And there's something that we prepare, and that is creme de cassis. So this is juice of the cassis berry. Just do a half ounce of that. And then we're going to add mint. Anytime you add fresh herbs to a drink, you're going to want to hit them. You want to beat them up. That's because you're looking to break the capillaries in the same fashion you are with the citrus fruit to release all of the flavor of the herbs. So you grab your mint and you just stack it like that and dump it in there, get it all in there. And then you're going to add your ice. So for this drink, we're going to take the ice straight out of the shaker and put it into the drink. So a good way to do that is just to use your glass, see how much room you have. So you have that much ice, it's all going to fit in. And we're going to shake. Pardon me. Don't waste any. Yes, please don't. Don't waste any. So there's no straining, nothing at all here except for dumping it straight in there. You got a lower yield on the ice, which is a good thing. You can always add more. And there's your finished product that we're going to give to Elliot. Bonjour. He's coming down. So this is an interesting sort of amalgamation. We have the berry flavor, the gin flavor, which is juniper, and Campari flavor. So Campari is a bitter. The way that I think about Campari is it's just like biting into an orange through the skin. It really just should taste like oranges and be bitter as hell. That's our goal with Campari, is to offer that really fresh, citrus, aggressive flavor in a package that I like to call an intellectual leap of faith for the senses. So having something like that that's red and bitter is a little bit intimidating for most people and it's meant to be. If we were birds and we saw something that looked like that, we wouldn't drink it. We wouldn't eat it. If we tasted it and it was bitter, we wouldn't go any farther. So as people, when we recognize something like this can be good, it's really our signal to ourselves and others of our humanity. Wild animals, my dog, your parakeet, my fish, chickens, they will not touch anything that looks, tastes, smells like Campari. It's really alone with us to drink something like that. The way we've dressed it up with mint and cassis and gin, it makes it a little bit more palatable, but it's still a bit of an affront to the senses. Consequently, this has been something that has been near and dear in my life because yeah. it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful, and it certainly makes for a beautiful drink, too, because of the color. Yes, it does. Yeah. Nothing better than red. Yeah. Nothing better than red. Okay. So our most popular drink here is called the Fourth and Clyde. Fourth and Clyde, 
is named after a Scottish canal. Reason being is that it contains Hendrix Gin, this little itty bitty bottle. So Hendrix Gin is different than the other gins that we are working with. It's not from England at all, it's from Scotland. Reason for the name is a reference to a Scottish canal. So this drink, I like to think about drinks as more than just things you put in your mouth and swallow. This is a concept. So the Hendrix Gin meets Maker's Mark bourbon over honey and chili flake, which is domestic and from North Haven, Connecticut. The reason for this drink existing is too long to explain. That will make it for you when I answer any questions. So you're going to want to add honey like this until it's in the bottom of the shaker, about the size of a dime. Now the order here is important because if you get it wrong, you can torch your nasal. Now that we're here on a COVID-19 basis, everything comes in little packs like this. Mm -hmm. So this is chili flake. Ordinarily, it would be something like you got at a uh, pizza restaurant. The right way to do this is one called Salemi chili flake, which is a hybrid that's only grown in North Haven, Connecticut, right by QU. You're gonna put in just enough to stick to the honey, but you have to do it in order because if you do it out of order, it blows back up in your face and hurts your eyes for about a month. Okay. Next, we are gonna juice another half lime and a half lime after that. The proportions of this drink are wonderful because they're all single digits, or all single use. One ounce, one ounce, one ounce, which means two half lines. One ounce, whiskey. And one ounce, Hendrix Gin, Scottish. It's a little bit of note. Anytime you use a measuring device, all of the uh, measurements are to the top. There's no heaping spoonfuls because it's liquid but also anything below the top is not a proper ounce. So to get to two proper ounces, you have to go all the way up. All right, we're gonna wait just a second on our ice. And since this has honey in the bottom, we have to stir it warm. Anytime you have anything with a higher viscosity like honey or agave syrup, it's a good idea to stir it warm to get all of those ingredients to intermingle before you add something cold which is gonna increase the viscosity and cause the honey to harden. Everything is together, ice is in there, time to shake. I should have mentioned, everything should be shaken for at least 18 seconds because nothing can get colder after 18 seconds with a full shaker. Okay. If your fingers start to stick to the, to the tin, you've gone far enough. Don't waste anything. All right, all right. So we're gonna use that double strainer again, especially important now because we have chili flake. An errant chili flake to the face can change somebody's day. We don't wanna do that. And this is ready for consumption. Oh, Elliot. How often do you guys refresh your cocktail menu at the bar? Oh, that's a great question. Well, right now, <laughs> every day. Uh, ordinarily, it goes with the seasons. So okay. we try and do we're in an interesting position here, uh, one that I'm not mad at, which is having had success in having people come in and wanting to have things that they had 
for like this is graduation weekend. If you came here for your yeah. graduation, you come back, you want to have the drink that you had um, on that day. So there's a little bit of like it can be constraining um, as far as creativity goes, but it's also very encouraging because you get a base that you know knows you and wants to come back and and sort of walk through those paces again. So pre this, we had just adopted a strategy of having sort of our classics, which are the drinks that people have ordered most over the last 12 years, and then just refreshing it with inspirations from the season. So theoretically, it should be every four months. I don't know now. <laughs> so I have another question about gin. Someone asked specifically, how do you feel about Bombay Sapphire gin? I think it's a fantastic product. I use it very little. Bombay Sapphire, I'm looking at the bottle, sorry, uh, is... So almost, almost anything of a more premium nature is very difficult for me to quibble with because somebody likes it. Bombay yeah. Sapphire has a wonderful history of fantastic recipe and advertising that I am absolutely envious of. It's not my favorite gin, and I've been confounded every time I've tried to use it effectively. It is a wonderful product, absolutely. Everybody should try it once. If you love it, there are no shortage of applications. They are in there. More than anything, they're a wonderful company. I have not found a way to make it work for me, so I can't answer too, too intelligently. Mm -hmm. But it's top-notch all the way and has a super cool website and an even cooler history. That's okay. my way of getting around the question. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Are you a politician? Um, not yet. <laughs> so I have a question, another question about the drink you just made, about the chili flakes, about how many chili flakes did you put in there? That's a good question. The best strategy I have is to just use the tip of a butter knife, get it on there, and dump it in there. Okay. D depending on the strength of the chili flake, if you're using the salami chili flake, very, very sparingly. If you're using something that, you know, you stole from the, like, pizza place, a little more. Okay. But it's also the taste. The reason yeah. for the success of that drink is that all of the drinks we're making, all the drinks that people enjoy, the best drinks that anybody ever has in food are always balanced. The reason that spicy drinks succeed is because all the time when you're making drinks, you're trying to balance bitter and sweet. And when you introduce spice, nobody ever says, like, I want uh, spicy sauce. They say, I want hot sauce. So your body's perception is that whatever you're eating or drinking is hot. When you serve somebody a cold drink with a perceived hotness or a spice, you're balancing that too. That's why people like spicy margaritas. The success of spicy drinks Confound some, but if you think about it, it's just about having a balanced product. So if you like something on the spicier side, add a little bit more. Worst case scenario, give it to your friend and start again. Got it. Give it to me. I have one other gin question. Gin is a hot topic today. I'm here. Gin Mar. It's a European gin. Have you tried? Gin Mari, yeah. Yeah, Gin Mari. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so she's just asking how you feel about it. It's great stuff. One of my favorite distributors in the world sells Gin Mare, and that's Craft Beer Guild. So if you have any opportunity to support them at all, I would suggest buying Gin Mare and drinking it with tonic all summer long on your deck. Also, really good with anything herbal. So if you like, uh, if you want to make a Tom Collins, this is a good time to introduce like lavender or Tom Collins or thyme. Thyme makes a really good simple syrup. Thyme, simple syrup, lemon juice, and Gin Mare. Perfecto. Awesome. Good to know. I'm writing that one down. Someone else is just commenting that they love 116 Crown and they're wondering what your, fav what your favorite cocktail is on the menu. Oh, uh, they're like kids. Mm. Whatever you like. They're all mine. Yeah. Some of them are cuter, some of them are smart. They're all good. 
yeah, I mean, this place has been a big part of my life for my entire adulthood almost. So I, it's, it's very hard for me to separate them out. I can tell you stories about every one of them. <laughs> I bet you could. Yeah, if you what want a kid, you... have a glitterati. What? <laughs> what got you so interested in mixing cocktails? Oh, uh, I needed to put myself through Quinnipiac College at the time. Mm -hmm. So I took a job as a bartender and a few things stuck. Quinnipiac stuck and making drinks stuck. Mm -hmm. Every now and again, you, um, it's funny. I had a, a guy who I used to wait on that was really, really good at pool. And he used to tell me that he wished he was better at tennis because the professional avenues were a lot better. And I find myself having a similar conundrum. I happen to be good at making drinks. I wish I was like as good at making drinks as I am at picking stocks, but sometimes life picks you. So yeah. I ended up behind a bar and sometimes it just fits, you know, it yeah. was the, uh, the piece fit in the puzzle. I was lucky. I was lucky. I, I don't think a lot of people get that. Yeah. Good for you. So I wake up every day and I'm just super satisfied. Awesome. It is. That part's good. All right. So do we have one more to make? Oh, we sure do. Okay. So this I call the Bobcat Highball. Reason being is that we are the only place that we can be. We are right here in space and time, and this is what it's going to be. So may as well make the most of it. So thinking here was Mezcal is a very hot topic. I enjoy Mezcal very much, especially around this time of year. I think of Mezcal is like the sort of like perfect balance between spring and summer where you wake up one day, like today, it's beautiful out. You can't wait to get outside. Mezcal is one of those spirits that you never, even if the packaging says exactly what the packaging said the last time, you're not guaranteed to get the exact same thing. Anything from Mez, uh, Mexico has interesting regulations and uh, the agave plant in general, one of the things we're faced with Mezcal is the more and more popular it gets, the less we're gonna have because the gestation of the agave plant is such that it can't support the popularity that it has right now. So there are a few different ways to do this. I am of the opinion that you can't exactly regulate everybody into just throttling back on Mezcal, so we should enjoy it while we can. So a Mezcal drink seemed appropriate. So I'm gonna make Bobcat Highball. I have three strawberries here. I encourage you to leave the leaves on. Enjoy it as God intended. Get three strawberries in your tin and then you're gonna add your ingredients. I'm gonna turn around for a second. I'm adding mezcal. So you're gonna want two ounces of that with your three strawberries and then the juice of one full lemon. So that's two halves in your giant juicer that you should all have by now because you have Amazon accounts and nothing else to do. So I have someone asking a question. Can tequila be substituted for mezcal? Anything can be substituted for mezcal. This is your drink. Being an expert does not mean you get to tell people what to like. All right, so we've got a drippy cup and one full lemon in there. So now we're going to do agave syrup. Agave syrup is always a good mate for tequila or mezcal because it comes from the same place. Especially now, Sugar, believe it or not, can cause irritation to all sorts of parts of your body. Swelling, it's not quite as bad as uh, smoking, but any chance we have to improve our health should be observed. So I advise taking sugar in limited quantities and going straight for the agave syrup. I'll be right back. Organic, always the plus. Buy it by the handle. 
So again, we're going to add this ounce and a half. An ounce will also suffice. Let me get to the actual. And then muddle. You need a big stick. You muddle this, and then you have to stir it. We're looking to introduce that agave syrup into all the other ingredients again, so we don't want to use ice straight away. So once you get those strawberries, lemon juice, this is the goal right here. Bring it all together. A good way to sort of test is to bring the spoon up. If there's no syrup on there, it looks like water. Very good shape. Now we add ice. So if you notice the shake is a lot less loud, it's muffled because you have fruit in there. It's also starting to show a nice red color. If you don't have the red color, take it some more. You really want to introduce the strawberry into the entire package. So you can't see it, maybe you can. What's coming out of there is red. The liquid is red, then we introduce the black. So highball means there's seltzer involved. So I suggest adding seltzer before you add the rest. Otherwise, the seltzer will just sit on top. I use a wine glass because I'm pretentious. I also happen to nail the top. You don't spill a drop. Well I'm done. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Oh, yeah. This is actually very pretty. It's gorgeous, yes. It smells like a dream. Yeah, that would be just fine with tequila, actually. Okay. Upon further examination. That's great. This has been really awesome, John. Thank you for spending time with us here. More fun for me. Elliot is not driving himself home. Elliot lives within a <laughs> Elliot walks here. That's why Elliot's here today. Instagram is the thing. Everything else flows from there. You can find us on Facebook. I find it easiest to post to Instagram. So at 116crown is the place to get it first and early. Well, okay. Well, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more friends now on the Facebooks and the Instagram. Hey, we got time to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> this has been really great, John. I really appreciate um, that you took the time to do this for us, that you shared your time and your talent with us. My pleasure. Thank you to John Janetti for participating in today's episode. This show is produced by David DeRoche, Quinnipiac's Director of Community Programming, and hosted by me, Carla Natale. I'm the Associate Vice President for University Events and Community Partnerships. To learn more about our range of podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can subscribe to any and all of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your feedback, questions, and episode ideas at qupodcasts at qu.edu. To learn more about Quinnipiac's virtual events, visit qu.edu slash virtual quad. Thank you for joining us on the quad at the virtual quadcast. <laughs>